0: Good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around podcast. Good to have you with me. It's been a few weeks, little uh, pre-summer break, if you will. Uh, hope you've all been well. Glad to be back doing what I enjoy doing—that's talking sports with you, the sports fans of Western New York or wherever you may be from that you might be consuming this. Hope you're catching it live. If not, pass it on. That it's available late. A lot of things to talk about the NBA and NHL playoffs, both in full swing. The NHL playoffs down to the Final Four, the NBA getting there. We'll talk a little bit about both of those. NFL training camps are a month and a half away. Well, maybe five, six weeks away. But right now, organized team activities going on, and we will talk a little bit about that and the big trade that happened while we were gone discuss the julio jones trade the yankees suck the yankee fans are losing their minds we'll give you a little bit of a breakdown of that jake DeGrom. it's just ridiculous what that man is doing and the young talent of baseball i want to hit on that as well so let's get into it though with the buffalo bills the local team and what's going on with them organized team activities begin today this is like a three-day mini camp it's the last time The Bills will get together before training camp, which, by the way, will not be at St. John Fisher. And I'm going to hit on that. It's going to be in Buffalo. No surprise there. But the biggest thing to me about this week is the return of Star Latulule. Star was a guy that the Bills signed a couple years back from Carolina, gave him a lot of money. And he didn't put up a whole lot of numbers. The production... Wasn't something that you look at and you thought, wow, this guy is a heck of a player. Star is a different type of player. What Star does is he takes up blockers, he creates mismatches on the defensive line that allows the people around him and next to him to benefit from him tying up blockers. Star opted out last season because of the COVID situation. There wasn't a whole lot of communication, from what I understand, with the organization. As a matter of fact, they, they hadn't seen him. But then videos recently have surfaced of Star working out on his own. He looks to be in great shape. Of course, you know working out on your own versus football shape, two different things. But we're certainly early enough along in the process that Starr can get himself into great football shape. And when you look at the Bills going into this year, and you look at what they are and what they hope to be. The defense last year was not good. The run defense was not good at all. The pass rush was inconsistent at times. The biggest change from this year to last year, from last year to this year, on defense, to me, is going to be the return of Star Latulale. His ability to tie up blockers and create an an advantage for Ed Oliver to go one-on-one and have success. To stay off, for blockers to stay off the feet of Tremaine Edmonds and let him run sideline to sideline and make plays. That's where Starla Tulele can show his value. Again, not him getting tackles for loss or sacks or whatever you want to, whatever metric you want to look at. No, it, it's where he can tie up blockers and allow others to make plays because he's tying up blockers. And I think that's something that The Bills didn't have last year, whether it was Zimmer or whoever else was next to Oliver. They were all kind of the same guy, and none of them had enough success to be impactful in the running game. You look at the other additions this offseason, whether it be the first-round pick, Gregory Rosau, the second-round pick, Boogie Basham, those guys are projects. I don't expect either of them to have more than four sacks this year. If they do, that's a win. A.J. Appenensa may take a step forward, but what are we looking at? Five, six sacks at best? So this defense, much like the offense, is running it back. The offense is running it back after a successful year. The defense is running it back after a year where they took a major step backwards. So when you look at this team and try to figure out How is this defense going to improve to the point where the Bills don't have to just outscore everybody? The answer is Starla Tulele. So that's something this week to definitely keep an eye on as the OTAs go and just how his body conditioning holds up, how his interactions are. If he's right, he's an improvement, and he may be the only improvement that we see this year but the ripple effects of him playing his game at a high level will be significant so keep an eye on that other things to keep an eye on are the mood of the team and i thought something happened at the last ota that showed that this team is certainly not complacent when teams break out and have their great year the next year to me is always a real interesting year because it's how do you come back from the success? You know, how do you handle success? And last OTAs, A.J. Eponenza, picked off Josh Allen and returned it for a touchdown. Celebrated a little bit, and John Feliciano and Eponenza got in a fight in the end zone. Feliciano, of course, the offensive guard who the Bills have brought back, brings a lot of energy to that offensive line. This, to me, was a good thing because it shows that this team is still ready to compete. And I think that's going to be Sean McDermott's task for this year. Get this team ready to compete right out of the box. Don't let them think they're good. Don't let them feel good about what they did last year. Because as good as last year was, it's over and it has zero impact on this upcoming year it's going to be a a big task for the Bills to get off to that good start and contend and to just pick up where they left off. I think one of the things to think about this year, too, and I've said it on a previous podcast, playing in full stadiums is going to change things. Last year, going on the road and getting a win, it didn't mean nearly as much as it traditionally did in the NFL. Because when you go on the road to get a win, you've got the hostile noise. You're not able to make changes at the line of scrimmage and all the things that you want to do. It is a big difference playing in an empty stadium versus playing in a stadium with 70,000 fans screaming against you. So I think it's imperative that the tenor of this team for Sean McDermott to keep his finger on the pulse of it even stronger than he did last year, stronger than he ever has to make sure right out of the box that this team gets themselves going. It's going to be fun to watch. This training camp this year, which will take place at the end of July and go through August, is going to take place once again in Buffalo. This year was going to mark the last year of the current contract between St. John Fisher and the Buffalo Bills organization. Of course, Fisher has been a great home to training camp through the years. The Bills didn't have a ton of success during their years at Fisher, but recently, of course, with the success of the organization and the changes, it was one thing that we here in Rochester looked at as something of our own, and we had a little bit of an ownership there. Obviously, with COVID last year, it wasn't going to happen in Rochester. This year, it would have required some work to get done last year when the Bills played and and they took advantage of their facilities in Buffalo, they navigated the COVID protocols in Buffalo. So those things were already taken care of. For them to set up and get through all the protocols here in Rochester at Fisher would have required some, some work to be done. It could have been done, but let's be honest. This is something that, in my opinion, the Bills, the Pagulas, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, the COVID did them a favor in this respect. The Pagoulas have invested a ton of money around the stadium in Buffalo. The Adpro training complex is state-of-the-art, one of the best in the league. The fields they've built around the stadium have been a great spot for the team to practice. Well, now you don't need a second location for training camp. You've got the best possible scenario right where you are. Why travel and go somewhere? Now, I know McDermott and Bean have both said there's a benefit to getting away from camp, and they both like that benefit. Is that is that real? Do they really like going away? Do they like staying in the dorm? Or is that lip service to satisfy people like me who think that they would like nothing more than to have these training camp first couple weeks in Buffalo? And and I frankly, I think that is what it is. It's lip service. Uh, McDermott, when when he took over, the training camp schedule shortened noticeably. It also made it so that people who supported financially investing in training camp to bring their guests, their customers out to training camp, he didn't care about the scheduling of practices. There were no night practices. Practices were all in the morning. So you lost marketing opportunities because of that. Sean McDermott doesn't care about marketing opportunities. He cares about football and only football. I think... That this is a situation that the Bills are now out of the contract and they couldn't be happier about it. Now, there have been some rumblings. Would the Bills go to Penn State and have a couple weeks down there? The Pagulas, of course, Terry Pagula has a lot of ties to Penn State. Would that happen? I frankly don't think they'll go anywhere. I think that they stay right in Buffalo. They think they use the state of the art complexes that they built. I think they stay with what they now know works. They've had great success keeping players healthy, and that's been a big part of their overall team success. So why change it up? Why go somewhere where you don't control every aspect of it? And and think about Sean McDermott and any NFL coach for that matter. They're all control freaks. The more you can control, the more comfortable you're going to be. And and having – training camp in Buffalo, that is absolutely another factor where the Bills are able to control things. So I do think this is a situation where Rochester was great for the time being. And, you know, I know we, we can't speak good about Russ Brandon because everyone hated the job he did as a general manager. But as a businessman and as a marketing person, him being, going to his alumna, his alum, his alma mater, I should say, in St. John Fisher, and and getting that ball rolling and getting that thing to where it was was a great move. Financially, marketing-wise, it brought fans from Syracuse up here, even Utica and Albany would come. It's a little less that they'd have to drive. The people from Buffalo would still drive east to come to camp. It was a fantastic, fantastic Set up, and as somebody who was out there every day for three years, it was great to go out there and watch the practices and see the players and the coaches and and just all the things that go along. And it's a great opportunity to scout the team. Now, I I know this year is going to still be a little different for us, the fans and the media, because there's you're not going to have the full access, you're not going to have the exposure like we used to have. And it, that's the new normal. It's not going to be that way for a long, long time. And that's another area that as much as you'll hear we miss the fans during the practices, the, the organization doesn't care about the fans at practice. They, they just got – this is work. It's their business. They got to handle their business. And that's why, to me, a lot of this that has been said about camp is nothing more than lip service to show what a great partner the Bills and Fisher were. I don't expect there to be another contract coming out of this. I'd love to see it, and I'd love to be wrong on this. But I've said for a couple of years that as soon as the Bills can get away from this contract and train in Buffalo at their new facilities, they're going to do it. And I fully believe that time has come for them to permanently make that maneuver, and they will – in my opinion go forward in buffalo so something to keep an eye on there one last thing about the bills and this offseason has been a quiet one it's a restocking of the pond if you will they've brought in a rookie class that is long on projection and short on immediate impact but there's a guy out there still that i think could end up in buffalo and if he does It's an immediate impact, and that's Zach Ertz, the tight end from Philadelphia. This has been rumored for since the end of last year, to be honest with you, with what went down in Philadelphia and all the changes that they're making. Ertz is still a very good player. He's not young. He is expensive. I think there's a chance this still can happen before training camp begins, but trades in the NFL are pretty rare, and and frankly, when you get to a point where you're an age like Ertz is, the compensation going back to Philly is not going to be very much. I mean, Julio Jones, who's one of the two or three best receivers in the league, went for a second and a fourth. Zach Ertz isn't getting anything close to that, obviously. So that's why I think there is a chance that this could happen. The Bills would have to absorb some salary. But as I transition into my next topic, That, to me, isn't a big deal when you're trying to win a championship. Championship windows are very short. And the Bills this year, going forward, unless they re-sign Josh Allen, and even still, it's doubtful that them giving Allen an extension will impact this year's salary cap. While Allen is manageable, you have to manage your team to the fullest. Teams that have good quarterbacks on rookie deals need to be able to surround them and win. And if you haven't, it's a missed opportunity. Look at what's going on in Dallas. This year Dak Prescott is going to make $40 million a year. He made 30 million on the last year as as part of him getting the franchise tag. They missed though the previous 4 years was when he was making around a half a million dollars. You had a chance to really surround him with talent. But mismanagement by the front office didn't allow that to happen. Buffalo needs to take advantage while they can. And that's why bringing in a player who's maybe not really worth the money you're paying him, but you can afford to pay him that money, can push you over the top. And I think teams get so caught up in the value of a draft pick, A, and B, dollars and contracts for older players – prohibits them from making moves that could potentially push them over the top. Enter Julio Jones to the conversation. Julio goes from the Falcons to the Titans. This is a big trade because the Falcons, while they're still going to be very good offensively, they still have Calvin Ridley. But I I just think this is your punting on this season. You bring a new coach in and you're punting on the season Immediately by trading away your best offensive player, to me it doesn't make sense. But they get a second and a fourth round pick back. For the Titans, they had a very good year last year. They were a run first team. Ryan Tannehill was really good, and and that statement there, I think people have a hard time getting used to. Ryan Tannehill's played good football since he's been in Tennessee. Last year, thirty three touchdowns, seven interceptions. He threw for 3,800 yards. Now, you look at that and you say, well, that's not very much. Well, when you've got a running back who's going for 2,000 yards, 3,800 through the air is pretty good. It shows that their offense as a total group was really good. A.J. Brown had 70 catches over 1,000 yards, 11 TDs, physical wide receiver. Now you add Julio Jones to that package, and all of a sudden – Things look really good. Now, my question about the Titans is is a couple fold. One, Derrick Henry had almost 400 total touches last year. That's a lot. Generally, when a player has that many total touches, the following year does not go well. Two, if they're going to stay run first, is there enough footballs to go around? Julio's got to get 100 targets this year, in my opinion. But A.J. Brown does, too. So you've still got to spread it around. And I think the Titans have good enough offense and Tannehill is a good enough quarterback that they can do that. It's just what is their philosophy going to be? But the reality of it, in my opinion, teams look at the Falcons and say they did great. They got a second and a fourth. Now they set Julio in a sixth back. But now the titans have to pick up 15.3 guaranteed million dollars this year 15.3 is a lot for a wide receiver but if you look at last year and we don't have to look far look to buffalo and look to arizona both brought in all pro wide receivers added them to an offense that was dealt with a young quarterback and uncertainty all of a sudden those two offenses took off Those two players had phenomenal years. I expect Julio Jones to do the same. Now, he's a little longer in the tooth. He's in his early 30s, which for a a football player is, is obviously not young. He had injuries last year, didn't play in a bunch of games. I expect the Titans to be a very good offensive team again this year, and I expect Julio Jones to be a big part of why. And the fact that the Falcons got a second and a fourth The overvaluing of draft picks in the NFL befuddles me because give me two years of Julio Jones at 12 games a year, say, if he plays 12 games a year, typical to what he's played in the past. And when he's been on the field, the question isn't what he does on the field. It's can he get on the field? But if he can play 12 games each of the next two years, you're paying him 30 whatever million dollars over those two years. Easily, the Titans have won this trade because a second round draft pick and a fourth round draft pick is not nearly as good as the impact that Julio Jones can have on a team. Teams get so caught up in draft picks that they forget the talent that they're acquiring. Julio Jones is one of the best wide receivers in the history of the NFL. He continues to be a dominant player, even at this stage of his career. Again, when he's on the field so your gamble isn't what you're giving up or what you're paying him in my opinion you're gambling on the health of julio jones and if you feel he can do that to me you win the trade and i I think the titans have won this trade going away now we'll see where it goes from here but there are a bunch of other teams i looked at that i'm like why didn't you make this trade one of them happens to be the buffalo bills the bills are a team now trying to win now and go back to what I was saying about Zach Ertz you overpay at this point you're overpaying because you're trying to win a championship Zach Ertz could help you do that Julio Jones could have helped you do that a second and a fourth you're picking late in the second round anyway and late in the fourth round anyway so it's not like you're giving up a top five pick you're giving up like the 60th pick in the draft at best so to me, the Bills should have been a team looking at Julio Jones, pairing him with Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley. You would have a, an, an enormous advantage offensively. The Miami Dolphins, <clears throat> excuse me, the Miami Dolphins should have been all over Julio Jones. You had a young quarterback, excuse me, and to a tug of Viola that you need to get weapons to. You could have gotten him... For a second, with all the draft capital that the Dolphins have for the next couple of years, and you don't go out and spend it on Julio Jones, what are you waiting for? The Dolphins missed a huge opportunity. I thought the Colts missed an opportunity. You bring in Carson Wentz, he's still got T. Y. Hilton who's still very productive, but you need more than that. And I thought this is an opportunity that the Colts could have taken. The Ravens. For years, we've been talking about the lack of wide receiver help for Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Second and a fourth could have had Julio Jones. Don't make that move. Somebody explain that to me. It simply doesn't make sense. The Green Bay Packers have problems with the quarterback because you know he doesn't really feel appreciated. What if you went out and got him Julio Jones to pair with Devontae Adams? Again, for a second and a fourth, Aaron Rodgers throwing to Julio Jones and Devontae Adams? don't even have a running back anymore just start throwing it all over the place who would want to go cover that team it's just amazing that green bay wasn't in the mix seattle was in the mix reportedly couldn't get it done i'll give them credit because they were trying to get it done but you give russell wilson julio jones and dk metcalf and tyler lockett man you really have an excellent chance of having a good football team there I thought the Chargers missed this opportunity. You put Justin Herbert, you give him that young gun quarterback, and he is a young, good quarterback. Give him Julio Jones. You, you might you might have one of the best quarterback wide receiver combos in the league if that were the case. So Julio Jones goes, and guess and, and that's a good thing for the Titans, bad thing in my opinion for the Falcons, and a huge – huge missed opportunity for a lot of teams in the league and again draft picks and money nobody remembers the draft picks or the money that's spent they only remember the player that either got away or that they didn't get that could have helped them get somewhere that they couldn't have got now we'll see how it goes and if julio's on the field again to me 12 games each of the next two years the titans win that trade we'll see where it goes Major League Baseball, we are at the third poll. Memorial Day is always an interesting day because it's about one-third of the season. Now here we are in mid-June, so we are a third of the way into the year. And you're starting to see what teams are. And you're starting to see teams as they really are. And the team that gets the most airtime around here is the New York Yankees. They are game over five hundred, and they're sitting... In fourth place in the American League East. Their playoff odds right now, 20.3% to make the postseason. 20% odds of the New York Yankees making the postseason. And the reality is, nothing that's happened this year is, is all that unexpected. If you start looking at what's gone wrong for the New York Yankees, and I'll go through it. Gary Sanchez is what he is. Anyone surprised by that? It's what you expected, right? Gary Sanchez is is exactly the guy you thought he'd be. Runs into a couple, he's going to hit low 200s. He's a bad defensive catcher, is what he is. At first base, Luke Voigt's injury has been a problem because now you got DJ LeMahieu at first base. And LeMahieu isn't what he is. This may be the one surprising. Thing of the Yankees' failures. He's only hitting 261 after signing the nice contract he signed this offseason. Because he's been at first base, that means Rufnet Odor is at second base. He's at a robust 198. Nobody penciled Odor in to be a great player. At shortstop, Labor Torres, who's been better defensively, still isn't good defensively. So, again, it is what it is. You knew you had a problem Defensively, with Gleyber Torres, he's a much better second baseman, but this is the way you set your team up. At third base, Gio Urshela is the player he should be. He's a nice player. He's not a great player. He's great defensively, but he has some timely hits, and he's a good hitter, not a great hitter. The outfield, it's, it's strange because, you know, look at Aaron Hicks. Who signed that big contract a couple of years ago? I never understood that. Never understood his value to the Yankees. Before he was hurt, and he's not going to be back anytime soon, he was hitting 194. He's not been good for a couple of years. And again, you kind of expected him to be this way. Clint Frazier still hasn't proven he's a major league player, that legendary bat speed hasn't allowed him to run into any more than five home runs. And his 188 average, I'm sorry, 182 average is embarrassing. Brett Gardner, he's 37 years old. He's a speed player with one stolen base, although he's never a great base dealer. You got to give me more than that. And he is hitting 217. Now, Miguel Andujar finally getting an opportunity. He has given them a little bit of something when he's gotten a chance, but he's been somebody that they haven't given much of a chance to now pitching wise the disappointments include cory kluber and that's because of injury but the reason cory kluber was on the market so long the reason nobody outside him because they didn't trust him to stay healthy for the year and the yankees they gave him money and thought they were going to get a bargain you got to be careful what you paid for Because a guy like Kluber has been hurt so much, hurt again. And not coming back anytime soon. He's on a 60-day DL. So that's going to be a long one. Jamison Tyone, great pitcher, went healthy, hasn't been healthy in a couple years. And this year, working his way back, he's got a 5.74 ERA. just hasn't been competitive. So when you look at the failures, you look at the disappointments, how far are those disappointments from the expectations that you should have for those players. And one player who's played to his talent level to an extent is Aaron Judge. And in a weird way, Aaron Judge might be one of the biggest problems the Yankees have going forward. Because after next season, Aaron Judge, who's 29 years old, is going to be 31 and a free agent. What do you do? This is a guy who this year has... 15 home runs, 35 RBIs, and a 289 average. He's done that in 61 games. To give you an idea of how unimpressive those 35 RBIs are, Giancarlo Stanton, who Yankee fans love to hate, has played 45 games, 16 less games, has three less RBIs. He also has three less home runs. They're pretty much the same player. You can't pay both of them. 25 million dollars plus per year which i think is what judge will get on the open market the other thing is if you're paying judge 25 million for six seven years that takes him into 38 39 territory you, you got to be careful with what you're spending if you're the yankees and you look at judges past last year didn't play in half the games the previous two years Missed somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60 games each year. He's not been able to stay on the the field. He so far this year has been. But I I just don't think he's a guy that you could build around. So now if you can't build around a guy, do you trade him? And, you know, now we're getting into the how do you fix this? How do you fix the Yankees? And it's not your father's Yankees. It's not the Steinbrenner's father's Yankees. Hal Steinbrenner is much different than George Steinbrenner. George didn't care. I shouldn't say didn't care. George's priority wasn't making money. George's priority was winning and he would spend to do so at any cost. Hal is not going to do that. We've seen it with his unwillingness to go above the luxury tax. And he won't do that. And if, The Yankees are going to do that this year. That means they're going to bring in salary. And that means they've got to spend prospects. So to fix this, what do you do? Do you go get an outfielder? And to me, that's the obvious answer. You need a good outfielder. You don't have that right now, whether it's Gardner, Frazier, even Andujar. You've got to balance the outfield. So we'll see where it goes from there. So that's one area. I, I think, too, they should make a play for a shortstop. And I think in the offseason, they'll likely sign one of the free agent. There are several free agent shortstops this offseason with very high ability. Guys like Javi Baez and Seeger from the Dodgers, uh, Trevor Story from the Rockies, to name a few. I think they'll end up with one of them. Maybe make a trade for one as a rental at the deadline you know, try before you buy type thing and see where you go. But to do so, they got to give up a lot of talent to get that. And I don't anticipate the Yankees being willing to spend their high-end prospects to get somebody this year because there is so much uncertainty. I think that this year is going to be a situation where the Yankees kind of take it on the chin go forward and and next year, maybe a retooling and and next year, maybe a retooling with an entirely different look. The Yankees miss the playoffs. Does Aaron Boone come back? I don't think so. I, I really don't. I think when you look at Boone, I think he's a very good manager. I think he's a great face of the franchise. He handles the media very well in New York. And I think that's a very important part of the job in New York because it brings somewhat of a calming influence to, to the organization. But Brian Cashman is going to be the question. Is it time to move on from Brian Cashman? You can make the argument Cashman does a great job year in, year out. But now that he's got the financial constraints, he hasn't seemingly been able to push them over the hump. Now, has that been a problem up until this year? Yeah, it has. because. This is a team that they win championships. That's what the Yankees are about. They haven't won one since 2009. That's 12 years ago. And as a guy who's a fan of a team that hasn't won a championship in a long time, let me tell you, you get used to not winning championships. And frankly, the Yankees, they're not a championship contender at this point. You start to look around the landscape of the American League, and in particular the American League East, it's tough for me to say that in the next five years, the Yankees are going to be a team that's going to be positioned in a better spot than the Blue Jays or the Red Sox with their young talent. and the, the Rays, the way they constantly do it. Yeah, it's a dogfight in the AL East, but the Yankees are a team that's supposed to be the top dog, and they certainly are not the top dog now. You start looking around, and, and the other teams have much better talent than the Yankees have and I I don't think it's fixable with one or two moves but I think the Yankees need to change philosophy they want to get back to winning championships because they're stuck in the middle they've got high salaried players they won't go over the luxury cap and they're not a young team this is an old team You look around Voight's not young LeMahieu's not young even Shella, I mean he's younger but he's not a rookie he's been around for a little while the outfield other than Frazier those guys have been around for a bit it's not a young team this this is a team that needs an influx of young talent and, and they had a setback last week that was really unfortunate Luis Severino the young pitcher working his way back from Tommy John surgery has a groin injury that could be a long-term injury. They're going to make sure that's fully healed before they start him throwing again because, again, anything in your lower body is going to affect your upper body when you throw. And coming back from Tommy John, you've got to be so careful to make sure you're completely healthy. It's going to be now probably another two months before we see Severino on the hill, if at all, this year for the Yankees. So it's been one thing after another, and it has not gone well. This season, the other side of New York, the Mets continue to be in first place and they continue to do so with what resembles a 1995 Kansas City Royals lineup. You're looking at guys who are role players at best and depth players at normal times, getting out there and getting the job done. This team has continued to battle and in large part because of the success of the pitching staff. Nobody has embodied the success like Jake Degrom, potentially ever. What Degrom is doing, and, and I'm not sure if he'll make his start on Wednesday against the Cubs. He, he had a little bit of an elbow issue. Is since been playing catch and hopefully is fine. But what he has been doing this year is truly mind-boggling, and this is a guy who's already won two Cy Youngs. He's won two and finished. I think third last year in the voting. So you look at what he's done for his career, it's been amazingly impressive. And this year, what he's done is mind-boggling. In his career, 193 career starts. 94 times he's held the opponent to zero or one run. Think about that. That's almost half your starts, zero or one run. That's amazing right there. This year, DeGrom is now 6-2 and two with a .56 ERA. His ERA went down last game, and he went into the game with a .61 ERA. His whip walks and hits per innings pitched, which I look at as a very true indicator of how the pitcher does because it, it determines the traffic that you have. Garrett Cole. Is very good and had a very good year this year. We'll see how he handles the spin rate controversy that's going to come up. He's not a good liar, but he's a great pitcher. His whip is like .83. That's outstanding. If your whip as a starting pitcher is .83, that's fantastic. That's not all-star stuff. That stuff, if you do it over years, is Hall of Fame stuff. Jake DeGrom's whip this year is .531. Think about that. .83, Garrett Cole, great. All-time great. .53 is unheard of. This year, he's allowed four earned runs through his season. Four earned runs in a season. Not in one game, in a season this year. As a batter, he's driven in five runs. He's driven in more runs than earned runs he's given up. It's truly mind-boggling. And this one really got me. In his starts this year, there's been one game, and all his starts this season, he's given up more than three hits. Think about that. If you give up four hits in a seven-inning start or six-inning start, it's great. One time this year, Jake DeGrom has given up more than three hits in a start. He gave up five hits in eight innings. Oh, by the way, he only allowed one run and got the win in that game. Other than that, he's not allowed more than three hits in a game. Now, who knows where this is going to go for the rest of the year? We, this year's such a strange year because of last year, the shortened season. Pitchers are going to really struggle to stay healthy, in my opinion. Down the stretch, DeGrom's already had a couple issues. I mentioned the elbow he's dealing with now. I don't know that he ends up getting, say, 25 starts in this year. But where this has started, this would be a year like we talked about with Bob Gibson forever. The year he had like a 1.12 ERA. And it's still regarded as like the greatest year in the history of baseball for pitching. Jake DeGrom's on pace to cut that in half. Now, I don't think he stays at a 0.5 ERA. I just it's impossible to do so. But what he's doing, I think we need to stop and appreciate the the unbelievable greatness that we see every fifth day out of Jacob DeGrom. It is mind-bogglingly great. Along the same lines, The appreciation in baseball right now, in my opinion, has to be for the amount of young talent that we are seeing in baseball. You look at the home run leaders. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. leads the major leagues in home runs. He's got 22 home runs. Last night tied the game up with two outs in the ninth, hitting an absolute bomb in Fenway. He homered in each of the four games the Blue Jays played in Boston. This kid is doing stuff that very few people have ever done. And he's, what, 22 years old? Fernando Tatis Jr. signs a big contract this offseason. He's second with 19 home runs, hit a grand slam against the Mets on Sunday to break open a close game. It's just been unbelievable. Ronald Acuna Jr., to me, is as good a player as there is in all of baseball. He can run, he can... Play the outfield greatly. He's battled injuries this year. He's got 18 home runs. Joey Otani is not only a lights out pitcher, he's got 17 home runs. The young talent in baseball, I never in in all my years remember seeing this many guys who are this young, who have had this much of an impact. And, And one other one, Juan Soto of the nationals. He's not having a great year this year, but here he is at 22 years old and he's already got 77 home runs in his major league career. He could have a hundred home runs by the time he's 23. It's crazy. This group of young talent is better than any group of young talent I have ever seen. And I don't really think it's close and I think when you have one of these guys, what you're able to do, again, because you're not – go back to the football part of the economics. You're not paying them $30 million a year yet. You're going to soon, and in Tatisa's case, he finally – or not finally, he already got some money. But the rest of these guys are basically on rookie contracts They're not making much money, yet they're some of the best players in the game. And they play with a flair and a style and a smile on their face for the most part. It's fun to watch, and it's great for baseball. And it's an old man's game. I get it. But these young kids, what they're doing, they have the energy, the style, and the ability to attract a new generation of fans. And that might be the most important thing that they do. Baseball has never had more young talent, and it's never been better than what it is right now. Quickly on to the hockey. We're into the semifinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Last night, Vegas won game one over the Canadians. The way Vegas opens a hockey game, it might be the best opening in all of sports. It is... Truly a Vegas thing because it's like a Vegas show. But the energy in the building, here we are coming out of the COVID pandemic, and to hear a building like it was last night in Vegas, I just love it. Game one in the eastern part of it, it's not east-west, I get that. In Tampa against the Islanders, the Islanders taking 1-0 lead. And again, them playing in Nassau Coliseum with the fans back there, the the energy in that building, I absolutely love it. I think it's phenomenal for New York City and the surrounding areas. I, I just it's so good to have the fans back and those two situations, in my opinion, really exemplify that we're coming back and things are turning the corner in that respect. The NBA the most interesting series, in my opinion, is the Nets-Bucks series because the first couple games, it looked like the Nets were going to roll. They get The Bucks get a win in game three and then game four. Giannis steps under Kyrie. Kyrie comes down on his foot. Dirty play, in my opinion, and, and a play that should have been a flagrant foul. It wasn't. Probably the superstar rule there. But now the big three of the Nets is a big one, Kevin Durant, and Durant's great. and Durant has the ability to carry this team to the next round. But for the time being, there is no James Harden. He's working his way back from a hamstring, will not play tonight. Kyrie will not play tonight with that ankle. This team, this Nets team, has dealt with injuries all year with these guys. Let's see what they can do tonight. It's time for Joe Harris, who's a very good three-point shooter, He's got to have a game tonight. KD has got to set the tone early, and Joe Harris has got to fill it up, and the role players for the Nets need to get it done. Last night, really good game in the ATL, Atlanta and Philly. This series, I think, could go seven. You you watch Philly, Joel Embiid is so great, so talented. At the end of the game last night, he seemed gassed. And I get it that big men get tired a little bit easier. But I just wonder about his conditioning. I get it that he's always battled injuries, but I think Joel Embiid's conditioning was a factor. And if you watched last night, Trey Young struggled shooting the ball early. It's the reason he ended up with 18 assists. What a player this kid is. And I, I didn't, I thought he was a wannabe Steph Curry coming out of Oklahoma, but he is so much better than I thought he would be. And I thought he was going to be a good player. I didn't think he was going to be a great player. And at his early age, you know, everyone talks about Luca and rightfully so and what a great player Luke is. Man, I'll tell you, the trade that the Mavericks and the Hawks made with the Hawks going from three to five, the Mavericks going from five to three to take Luca. The Hawks taking their consolation prize of Trey Young, getting the kid from Duke As well at the eighth pick. And I can't remember his name. It's not R.J. Barrett. It's the other guy. How he turns out is going to end up deciding how this trade ends up. But, man, Trey Young has just just been spectacular. It's, It's been fun to watch. The Suns were my pick to win the championship before the playoffs started. They have swept Denver out. Chris Paul turning the clock back. If he stays healthy and it's always a question with Chris Paul, this team is going to be incredibly difficult to take out. This team has a big man in DeAndre Ayton who's starting to evolve into a really good player. He's also athletic enough to add to the defense. They have a veteran in Jay Crowder who gives them some toughness as well as three-point shooting. Devin Booker is just a great, great scorer, great young player. Mikael Bridges is so much better than people give him credit for. They talk about the, the big three in Phoenix, and Mikel Bridges has to be part of that discussion as well. And then the other series last night, the Clippers tied up the series with the Utah Jazz 2-2. Donovan Mitchell, little dinged, didn't, didn't have the game that maybe he thought he should have. But I think Kawhi Leonard last night, imposed his will. And he looked like the guy we saw in the playoffs a couple of years ago with Toronto, where he was leading that team. And a guy I don't like giving a whole lot of credit to playoff P Paul George. He had a nice night again, last night. He's having a good playoff. He is playoff P at this point. I can't really begin to say that he's not, he's, he's been very solid along these lines. So the NBA has been very good as well. Fun to have playoffs going on right now, and it's going to continue on and take us almost all the way up to the NFL preseason. So there's it's going to be another interesting summer of sports this year. And finally, this is one of the best weeks of the golf season. It is the U.S. Open week, and everyone's hoping that we're going to have a pairing of Brooks Kapka and Bryson DeChambeau because these two guys simply hate each other. Brooks has been made famous for a video of when Bryson walked by, he rolled his eyes. Everyone's seen the video by now. They just can't help each other. And, and the funny thing is, I think they're very similar. I think they I think these guys love to be the center of attention. I think that they're both guys who aren't probably well liked by their peers. Generally, I, I know Bryson isn't. Bryson's an extremely slow player. He's very much a, a, a me guy. He had people thrown out of a tournament recently for yelling, "Hey, Brooksy let's go, Brooksy Things like that. So it's been it's been interesting to watch and to see where this goes. It's just does the U.S. Open and the U.S.G.A. Do they decide that this is what they're going to do to give the fans what they want? I don't think they should, frankly. I think it takes too much away. And two of the favorites, each of these guys is a favorite. I think that giving them that pairing could potentially derail a championship week for one of them. John Rom will look to compete this week, and John Rom a couple of weeks ago at the Memorial was dealt some horrific news walking off the 18th green on Saturday with a six-stroke win lead. He's going to get a win in Jack's tournament, finds out he had tested positive for COVID, and he was forced to withdraw from the tournament. Horrific way of the PGA Tour to handle it, for them to greet him on the 18th green in front of the TV cameras, let him know that, just incredibly incredibly poorly handled. I wouldn't be surprised if Rom comes out this week with a little bit of, I'm old one, and I'm going to take it now. (coughs) Excuse me. The other guy I want to watch this week, Dustin Johnson had a good week last week. hasn't had a great year to this point, but last week played well. Let's see how he does at Torrey Pines. It's a Bombers golf course. If DJ – can consistently keep it in the fairway, I think he's somebody that could be heard from come Sunday. The other thing, too, here living on the East Coast, having golf in prime time, yeah, sign me up for that. The fact that, you know, instead of going to 7 o'clock, it goes to 10 o'clock here, we could watch it at night, yeah, I'm absolutely all in. Uh, And Torrey Pines is a great venue for it. You'll have the beach scenes, you'll have the guys – hang gliding and things like that in the background. It's just going to be a great week in the U S open. I don't expect Phil Mickelson though. He's in his backyard from he's from San Diego. I don't expect him to duplicate what he did earlier this year with the PGA championship though. A lot of people would love to see him complete the career grand slam. So that's it for this week. That's our catch up show. Now that we're back up to speed, be back next week and uh, all the rest of the Tuesdays going forward. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. I'm Carl Falk. This is the and Around Podcast.